Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. We have been talking the last several weeks. What is, how did Jesus disciple people? A disciple like Jesus, if, if, if we look at what he did, and then we learn ourselves how we invite other people into that, what are the things that we, we see? And, and to start us off, I, I just want to, some of you are probably familiar with, with this phrase of uh, nailed it. Uh, one of the, the, I think the more interesting jobs on the planet probably is coming up with slang definitions uh, on dictionary.com. But uh, let me just read it for us. Nailed it. Slang. Nailed it is an expression used to comment on the successful, skillful, or clever, clever completion or performance of something. It's also often used sarcastically in reference to efforts that comically failed. Here's an example. Um, so some of you may have been on social media to, to know that there's a lot of these kind of memes out there, um, usually involving baked goods of some kind. There's actually a Netflix show. I haven't seen it. But if you Google images for Nailed It, you'll see a ton. And basically, the, the, the premise of the show Nailed It is these expert chefs that create these remarkable cakes and cupcakes and all of that, and then people try to replicate it. And um, as we look at that, um, you can see that the, the, the people on the right, they really tried, right? They really tried. And, uh, it's, you know, it's not for us to laugh at other people's failures, but um, here we are. We're all doing that together. <laughs> but uh, uh, as you continue to look at that, I want you to wonder, is this a little bit what the Christian life is like, though? And let me, what do me, let me explain. So we see Jesus compassionate, courageous, welcoming of all of us sinners, speaking truth, sacrificial in his love. He looks like the picture on the left, right? Just like Cookie Monster. But then our attempts at that often look like the picture on the right, right? We try as best we can to look like him, to live like him, but how often do we look like that picture on the right? So, in other words, how many of us have been in a place of crystal clear clarity about what, who God is and, and what God has done in our life, only to come crashing back to earth in spectacular fashion? How many of us have ever had that moment in our following of God where it seems like we see and we hear things so clearly and we will do anything that we need to do to follow God more closely, only the next hour or next day or next week to apparently have forgotten all of that. And we find that the things that drag us down have drug us down again. So I think the good news is that if we embark on the, the adventure of following Jesus with our whole lives, undoubtedly we will have moments like that. Crystal clear clarity followed by a fantastic fall from understanding. And today's passage illuminates that for us. And before I jump into reading, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to look at Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. Mark 8, starting in verse 27. And uh, last several weeks, we've talked about 
the way that Jesus invited other people to be his disciple, his learner, apprentice, lifelong follower. We've looked at how he discipled them. And we've been doing this to remind us all, each of us are on that journey of following after him. And it's also instructive for us on how we invite other people into that journey as well. And what we've looked at just a, a few of these things. We, we saw that how Jesus invited people. He taught them. He then equipped them and sent them out. Last week, Matthew talked to us about how his yoke, his way of following is meant to be easy and his burden is meant to be light. But then we end with what might be the hardest thing for us to follow him. So if you find in your Bibles, Mark chapter eight, you'll see the high and the low of one of his disciples, Peter, and how then Jesus used what Peter said and did to talk about one of the hardest things about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So this is how it reads. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned to look at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this passage illuminates something for us. The journey to following Jesus begins with this question. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? You'll notice that that Jesus invites the the disciples to answer the question, who are people saying that I am? But then he turns and he asks them specifically, who do you say that Jesus is? And for this, I think we need to dig deeper than just the right theological answer, right? 
So we can say things like, and these are all true, he is the son of God, he's fully human, fully divine, he scripturally is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. These are all true. But if Jesus were here right now with you face to face and saying, who do you say that I am? Do you think that he is looking just for the Sunday school answer? Or is he looking for something deeper from you? Is he the one that you awaken to in gratitude every morning saying, Lord, thank you for the gift of another day? Is he the one that you study about and reflect on with the question of, of, Lord, how would you live my life if you were me? Is he the one that you cry out to? Help me, Lord. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, Peter says one word, Messiah, literally Christ. It's the, the Messiah is the Hebrew concept. Christ is the, the Greek concept translation of it the anointed king the long-awaited deliverer of the people of Israel the one who was expected to free the God's people from the the uh, oppression of the Roman government that would usher into a a new age of peace shalom a, a new order to the world so let's not, let's not think that Peter's answer is just a, a simple Sunday school answer embedded in that word Messiah carried with it so much deep meaning. And Peter gets it right. Peter nails it. He identifies Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, this anointed king. But then Jesus begins to explain to his disciples this idea of Messiah that you might have needs to change. It is different than what you expect. This son of man, when when Matthew read to us from Daniel as a call to worship, it was a great call to worship. This this son of man is the title of this long-awaited king. This is the title that Jesus used to, uh, to ch- chose for himself to identify who he was. And he says that the son of man is going to suffer. He's going to be rejected, actually, by the religious powers that are around. He'll, be, he'll suffer, he'll be rejected, he'll be killed. And three days rise again from the grave. And what does Peter do? <laughs> I mean, you have to laugh a little bit. Peter takes Jesus aside when he outlines what he has come to do and rebukes him. It means correct. He's telling Jesus, the one that he's laid down his life to follow for the last several years, he's given up everything. Hey, Jesus, you're wrong. Now, it's easy for us to laugh at Peter, right? How many of us, though, have ever wavered on the things that we hear Jesus saying? We ask ourselves, did he really mean it when he said this? (laughs) Maybe he's wrong about that. That's exactly what Peter does. Peter nails it. Again, in the, in the worst way of it. First, he identifies Jesus as the Messiah, and then he tells 
the Messiah, he's wrong. So Jesus, in turn, rebukes Peter. He corrects him, and he says that he does not understand the mind of God in this. He's influenced by the ways of others, the the concerns of of human beings, their understanding of what this Messiah was to do. And it's then after this that Jesus then calls out to the crowd with the other disciples and teaches this as, if anyone would come after me, he must, it's necessary to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So our lives following Jesus will be ones where we can expect to be corrected from our Lord. The question is, is are we willing to be? Are we willing to put ourselves in a place of humility that we have things to learn, that we don't always get it right? And sometimes, like Peter, even when we think we've got it right, oh my goodness, we've got it so wrong. That's the correction that we need to humble ourselves and go, oh my goodness, sometimes I may not see clearly. I may see things actually more dimly than I think. Are we willing to take correction from Jesus? Jesus is telling us that we have to discern which of our desires need to be denied. Which ones need to be expressed? And it, and it begins, the foundation of all of it is believing that Jesus is the source of all wisdom for our lives today and that, that by following him, it actually leads to abundant life. If Jesus truly is the Christ, as Peter said, Will we entrust ourselves to him and what he wants to do in us and through us for the world? I think the other thing that that is obvious in this is Jesus outlines what he must do because God so loved the world. We must acknowledge that love involves an element of sacrifice. Love involves an element of of sacrifice. I was listening to a sermon from many, many years ago by Tim Keller who pointed out that, that, that authentic and true love might only be known when there's sacrifice involved. When you have a friend or a family member that lays down their agenda, their time, their resources, and their very life for you, you know without a doubt in that moment that you are loved. Love is more than a feeling. It's more than affection. It involves decision. It involves action. And Keller points out that authentic love, authentic love is intertwined with sacrifice. And Jesus has shown us that. As I was studying this passage, there were two things that I'll I'll try to go through quickly that that I think could be an entire series, but we won't go there this morning. What did Jesus really mean when he said, deny yourself? And what did he mean when he said, take up your cross? So first, 
What does it mean to deny ourselves? One lexicon I looked at said to act in a holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, not H-O-L-Y, a holy, selfless manner. Denying ourselves means to act on behalf of others, not in a selfish way, but a selfless way. Another lexicon defined it this way, to say no to yourself, meaning to refuse to listen to all of your desires, to say to one's heart and mind, keep quiet. Anybody need help with that? (laughs) Thank you for the brave ones that raised your hands. How many of us have had these thoughts and impulses and desires and we feel consumed by them and we cannot rid ourselves of them? Well, that particular resource says part of the Christian life is learning to say, keep quiet. There's something that's pulling at us, our own nature, the the evil one, a combination of all of that is pulling at us and not every desire is good and beautiful or kind and rich or helps us flourish and live and obey God. So learning to discern which of those desires are from him and which ones are selfish and self-centered. It's one of the hardest things about following Jesus. Dale Bruner illuminates this idea when he writes this, that Jesus' present words about denying yourself mean, first of all, turn away from your even best and highest religious ideas. It's not highlighted in there, but Bruner highlights it. Let's keep up the slide for a minute. I want to stop there for a moment because some of us might be going, why did he say religious ideas? Well, he's talking about how Peter... When he said, you are the Messiah, Jesus says, I must suffer. And Peter goes, hold on, Messiah is not supposed to do that. There was a certain religious idea in Peter's mind about the way that God was going to work things out. That this Messiah was not going to suffer and die. He was going to be a conquering king. And so Bruner's pointing out that some things that that even might feel religious to us, need to be set aside for something greater in the name of Jesus. Bruner goes on to say this, that Jesus is giving us a way to loose ourselves from being gripped by the concerns of human beings. Remember how Jesus said to Peter, you don't have the things in mind of God, you have the things in mind of other humans. Bruner goes on, he says, that way is decisively to disown ourselves and the lordship of our own thinking and to go under new management. I'll stop there for a moment. Any of you have one of your favorite restaurants close and they put up a sign under new management? You're a little frightened to go in there, right? So too is what the Christian life is like. There's some, there should be a little bit of fear involved in handing our lives over to Jesus and saying, you're my new management. But isn't he good? Doesn't he want our flourishing and what is best for us? Didn't he model for us that he was willing to lay down his life so that that could be our reality? Yes, yes, and yes. So are we willing to 
to concretely say under new management on our lives. And then I love this, how Bruner finishes the quote, self-denial is not so much giving up chocolates at Lent as it is giving up on ourselves as lords. It is the decision to let another lord rule one's life. I think what in that last quote, that's what Bruner's getting to. How often do we think that self-denial is wrapped up in giving up something like chocolate? Giving up our phone for a time. All those things are good. They teach us how to go without. But let us not stop there. It's deeper than that. And actually, it's a decision to let the Lord be Lord of our life. That's what Jesus is after. He's not concerned with us proving to him that we're denying ourselves by giving up chocolate or Netflix or a phone or whatever it might be. Those things might be practices that help us with that. But ultimately what Jesus is after is us putting up a sign on our lives saying under under new management. Are we willing to entrust ourselves to him? And I think that this begins with the understanding that God will provide for all of our needs. And it's out of that foundation when we can, for the sake of loving others, not be thinking of ourselves when we love someone else. Raise your hand if you want to, but you may not want to. How many of you have ever done something for someone else but internally you know you're doing it with the hope that it will be recognized, appreciated, thanked, and make you look better. <laughs> Few of you got more brave since the last question. <laughs> Thank you. That's what Jesus is getting at. Do you believe that actually you would live in the love of God to such an extent that you were free from that? That the foundation of knowing that God is your Father who meets all of your needs, who loves you with an everlasting love and has forgiven you, accepted you, and is making you new, that, that you're free to love other people without expecting something in return. That's what Jesus is setting up for us. So, when we see Jesus correct people in the Gospels, I think it's usually along the lines of of denying ourselves or dying to self. But hear me correctly here that, that the life of following Jesus isn't just deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. It's a denial of self so that we are free to love others. There's a purpose to the denial of ourselves is that we become the people that are so loved and live out of that love that we are able to love our neighbor as ourselves. Finally, what did Jesus mean when he said, take up your cross? Now, let me say this. It should be said that for brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, it means literal death. It means literal death. Sometimes we can forget that in the country that we live in, that there are people that call upon the name of Jesus and by so doing, 
face punishment and literal death. This past week, I was part of a breakfast and I, learned, I heard from a ministry, a family set free, founded just three years ago, that is seeking to liberate one million Christians in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan who because of debt that they have accrued, sometimes falsely, are working in brick kilns with their families and are indentured servants unless somebody would repay that debt. And these Christians are regularly punished and killed. So, they hear the words, deny yourself Take up your cross and follow me in a much different way than we do. We need to re- realize that and remember that. But closer to home, what does it mean for us to take up our cross here and now? Well, very simply, acknowledging that when you embark upon an adventure of following Jesus, it does mean suffering, it does mean rejection. I don't know when some of you were invited into a relationship with Jesus, that might not have been the way that you were invited. But it's true. That's what makes this one of the hardest parts of following Jesus. This is what we can expect. It means suffering, it means dying to self. And there's two ideas, I'm going to turn to Dale Bruner for this again, Bruner talks about two ideas of what it means to take up our cross. There's a passive and an active one. A passive one is that the trials of our lives, the circumstances, the things given to us are things that we must bear. Now, what this does not mean is this, is that there are some that are very dramatic among us that like to refer to a lot of things as the cross that we have to bear. There are some teenagers that think their parents are their cross to bear right now. When you go to a family function and Aunt Mildred says things like, being married to your Uncle Milton for 50 years, that's my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus meant. But there are things in our lives. Tragedies, accidents, diagnoses and treatments, illnesses and heartbreak that often propel us from suffering privately to more publicly. There are things that happen to us, happen in us, that move us from that place of suffering privately to suffering more publicly. And Jesus seems to be telling us that when we carry that openly, bearing witness to how We're trying to hold on to faith even in the midst of the darkest valley. That's what it means to follow him. To not hide our weaknesses and our sufferings and the things that we carry in us. But Jesus says, that's what it means to follow me. Show people how you're still trying to trust, still trying to hold on. Still trying to pray. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But Bruner also talks about how taking up our cross is an active thing. Rather than just our crosses dealing with the things that happen to us. It's also actively resisting the things 
that we see in our society and culture that do not reflect the love, the justice, and mercy of God. The nonprofit director who runs an after-school program for at-risk youth that goes again, again, and again, and again to city council and school board meetings and to anybody that will listen because she sees those children on a daily basis and fights for what is right for them is an example of an active bearing your cross in front of everyone fighting for what you know to be good and true and right. So whether it is the things that we are carrying that have been done to us or the things that we are fighting for, Jesus says that denying ourselves, taking up our cross is a must. It's a necessary thing. It isn't optional. In conclusion, this account reveals so many things. That in our lives seeking to follow Jesus, we have to see this. There will be times of remarkable clarity when we get it right. And we bow our knee in praise and worship for the God who is, who was, and who is to come. And then we can also expect this, that there will be times when we do not like what Jesus is saying or doing or calling us to do. But if he's truly Lord, we must follow. Trusting that what he wants is for our flourishing. We must learn to deny ourselves. We must learn to speak to our heart and mind. Be quiet. And we must learn to bear our cross in active ways and passive ways well in this world. It was necessary. Jesus said it. It was necessary for Jesus to suffer, to be rejected, to die, and to rise again so that you and I might have forgiveness, reconciliation, freedom, and abundant life, an everlasting life. It was necessary for him to do that. But we must ask ourselves, are we willing to walk the way that Jesus walked? Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that when Jesus came, He was oh so clear about his mission, about his purpose. And you know that we often wish there were another way for ourselves. But Jesus, we hear you say, if anyone is to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow. So Lord, help us to have the strength, help us to discern what it is that we must deny, help us to have the strength to take up our cross when we feel like giving up. And may we follow you wherever you might lead us.
In Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the Sanctuary for Classic Worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for Modern Worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening. 